So tonight, um, I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 3. Uh, you can turn if you want. We're going to go straight in here, uh, and then I'll, I'll tell some stories if that's okay. Um, so in Genesis chapter 3, I read this a, a couple weeks ago, uh, Genesis 3.15, um, a very familiar passage. Uh, God says um, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So I know I didn't give you time to turn there. It's okay. Uh, if you want to write it down, it's Genesis 3.15. Now, um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and uh, this idea that we discussed before we started our sermon series on the gospel according to Moses, this idea that God is giving us a glimpse of the struggle that is to come and the struggle that Jesus will one day uh, be victorious over. But this idea that, that the serpent will struggle against Eve and her offspring until Christ comes. And in the last sermon series, we talked about general struggles or general difficulties that all believers have had and how Jesus in the, in the gospel overcomes those struggles and those difficulties. And, and in this new sermon series that we're calling uh, The Advocate and the Adversary, we're going to talk about um, some specific issues that I think hinder us in our what with Jesus, things um, that hold us back from being all that God has called us to be or doing all that he's called us to do. And, and specifically, we're going to look at this very ancient struggle uh, between good and evil, and, and we'll talk more specifically about how we're going to label or, 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 or call that sense of evil or who that is. And so um, that's where we're going to go in our new sermon series. Um, and so I'm going to kind of set up tonight with a story, if that's okay. You guys okay with stories? No? Okay. Um, so on, on more than one occasion, I've had the opportunity to, to sit in the back of a courtroom and, and just be an observer. Um, in, in family court, it's, it's a really, really tough place to be. And the thing that sticks out uh, is usually just the image of small children. They're usually sitting over to the side. Uh, maybe they're playing with one another. They're eating the candy that I just bribed them with to be quiet. And to be honest, they're really clueless about what's going on around them. See, like, you know, their parents and whoever else is in the room, they have lawyers, and they're consulting with their lawyers, and, and maybe they're making their arguments back and forth to the judge. And there's, there's all kinds of things going on. And to be honest... Like, if you've never been inside of a courtroom, like, sometimes the procedures don't really make a whole lot of sense and why they do the things the way they do. And the kids, they're just, they're just going about their business, and they don't understand. Their, their little legs are dangling off the chair, and they don't even reach the floor. And they just have no clue what's going on. They have no reality that their life is about to change. And so everything is okay. And then all of a sudden, the judge smacks their gavel down. And court officers come and, and pick up these children and take them somewhere where they don't want to go. And they're crying and they're screaming for their mom, but they can't go to their mom because the judge has ordered them to be in somebody else's care because maybe something happened or maybe something didn't happen. And, and it's so confusing. And kids are asking things like, what did I do wrong? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? And like, it's heartbreaking to, to watch the kids like taken out and they go home with someone they don't know. And like, it's this... It's terribly confusing ordeal, and I can't imagine what it would be like to be like in the mind of a child in that environment trying to make sense of all of that. Because as an adult, I really don't understand why things happen the way they do. But to be a child, to be there, you know, sometimes, you know, they're assigned an advocate from the state. But, you know, even the best advocate, it's hard. How do you explain to a, a six-year-old 
why these things are happening and, and what all of the big words mean and, and why this happened. And in the end, there is this frustration. There is this frustration about things not being right in the world, that like it doesn't make sense. And, and, and maybe like, I pray that you never go through a situation like this, but, but I think all of us, we've been in a, a place in our life where we want the world to make sense and it just doesn't make sense. We, we want to be able to have recourse to right things that are wrong. And that feeling when you're helpless and powerless and you don't even understand why this is happening and why I'm, I'm in this place or why I feel this way. And, and maybe for some of us, it was just really petty things. Maybe you were angry and you got worked up because your professor changed the date of your exam and he didn't tell you on time and you weren't prepared and you just thought that was unfair and he won't let you make it up. Or, you know, maybe you didn't like the way he graded your paper or you're, you're, you're frustrated because your advisor didn't tell you you need to register for this class and, and now you're in a bind and you got to stay at Troy another year. I, I don't know. Maybe it was something petty. Maybe it was something serious. Maybe someone accused you of something that you didn't do or maybe a friend betrayed you or, or something happened that just wasn't fair and you felt powerless to fix it. You felt like there was nothing you could do to make it right. And in that moment, everything seemed wrong in the world because it just didn't make sense. And no matter how hard you tried, no matter how frustrated or angry you got, nothing would solve the problem. This is, this is the story of Job. This is the situation he found himself in uh, through no fault of his own, through nothing he had done. He finds himself in, in a moment of anguish and turmoil where he has no peace. And we want to talk about what's going on in the story of Job and, and how it applies to us. So we're going to turn, if you want to go to Job chapter 1, that's where we're going to start in Job chapter 1. This is kind of the backstory of, of how Job's situation came to pass. Uh, in the first part of, of, of Job chapter 1, we see that, that Job is a blameless man, that he lives a righteous life before God. But we have this peculiar picture that's painted for us. In Job chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. This is what it says in Job chapter 1. In verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, when you stop and think about it, this is a very peculiar situation we have going on. And whether you want to think about this in like literal 
sense or even a, a metaphorical or figurative sense, it's still a pretty peculiar image that we see. And so the book, the author here, he describes this kind of heavenly council. It says that the sons of God were gathered. You ever wonder, like, what does that mean? The sons of God? Is that Jesus? No, I don't think so. The Hebrew phrase there is ben Elohim. And we see this phrase uh, several times in the Old Testament. And it's, it's a common phrase used to describe angels or angelic beings. And so we have this heavenly council where God is on his throne and these angelic beings have gathered around, seeming as if they're coming to give some sort of report of, of the goings on. And then it says that among those angelic beings is one. Now we, we I read it this way, um, but we, we read this as Satan. Uh, the, the Hebrew is, it's called, it calls him the Satan. It means the accuser or the adversary. And so there is this adversary or accuser that comes into this heavenly courtroom. This is the picture we're seeing and, and begins a conversation with God. And in this, he begins to accuse Job saying that the only reason that Job is faithful to the Lord is because, because the Lord has blessed him and because God has protected him. And he makes the argument that if you would remove that protection, that Job would curse him. And so there's just really peculiar dynamic that we're watching unfold here. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to remove the protection. You can, can do what you want. And so the adversary, the accuser goes out and he begins to take away all the things that Job has in this world. And basically, if you were to read through the book of Job, which I hope you've done, if not, you will, what you'll find is, is Job pretty much loses everything that he owns his health, his dignity, his family, his possessions. He loses everything. And, and as he loses everything, his friends gather around to, quote, help him. And as his friends are helping him, he starts to argue back and forth with his friends. And, and Job's friends, they, they don't give very good advice. In fact, they give really terrible advice. And they, they try to explain to Job why things have gone wrong. And they, they try to give him advice. Well, you should do this, and that will fix it. Well, you must have done some terrible thing, and that's why this is happening. And, and surely God is punishing you because you did something wrong. And in Job's darkest moment, moment of deepest turmoil, his friends are trying to argue and reason with him, and it's not bringing him any peace. It's not bringing him any solace or resolution. And in Job chapter 9, after two of his friends have made his argument, Job responds to his friend. And Job's response in Job chapter 9, I'm going to read verse 32 and 35 here in a minute. The whole, whole chapter of Job 9, Job is, is declaring the goodness of God and the power and the strength of God. But Job has this crystal clear insight, and this is what we're going to focus on tonight. In Job chapter 9, I'm going to read from the NIV. This is what it says in verse 32. He is not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that this terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it stands with me, I cannot Job, in this moment, is completely unaware of the conversation that we heard about in chapter 1. Job, Job doesn't know what's happened in this 
heavenly council meeting. He doesn't know that there was an accuser that came and said these things and, and is now tempting him. Job doesn't realize those things are going. All that Job can see is that he's lost everything and that his friends are giving really bad advice and it's really unhelpful and he's confused and he's frustrated and it seems like the balance of the world is all out of whack, that nothing is working the way that it should be. In those moments when things aren't working the way that we think they ought to, there's, there's more than just frustration. There's, there's this sense of fear or impending doom because not only are things going poorly, but like I'm powerless. There's nothing that I can do to remedy this. And Job had settled on this, and, and, and Job says these profound words in verse 33, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. I think most of us, if you're not there right now, at some point in your life, you've experienced maybe not something to the degree that Job is experiencing, but at some point in your life, you will reach a place of maximum frustration, a place of maximum worry, a place where you have done everything that you know to do and the problem is still not resolved. A place where the world feels unfair, that things don't work the way you think they ought to be. The question is, how will we respond? There are a few things that, that Job attempts to do that are unfruitful for him. First, God, sorry, first Job seeks out counsel from his friends. But peace is not found in worldly counsel. You know, I think sometimes when things aren't going well, especially when we, we know we've, we've like maybe contributed to the problem we're in, we have this tendency to go and find people that we think are going to be sympathetic with us, people that we think are going to agree and tell us that it's going to be okay. People that are going to tell us what we want to hear. And we seek out worldly counsel. People whose perspective is not a heavenly perspective. And we, we gather those people around us and, and we ask them to tell us the things that we think are going to make us feel better. And, and maybe in that moment, we just want solace. We just want company. We just want someone to, to commiserate with our misery. But the reality is, is that peace with God is never found in worldly counsel. Secondly, Job's, Job's friends would tell him, hey, if you'll just go and do righteous things, if you'll make up for what you did wrong, but the problem is that peace with God is never found in our makeup work. That this is not some homework assignment that you didn't turn in. That like the cosmos is not angry with you because somehow you were not righteous or holy enough or you failed to do a thing. But sometimes we think Right? We feel like, oh, things are going bad. God must be upset with me. Let me read the whole Bible by next week. And if I do a really good job at that, then God won't be mad at me anymore. And we try to do penance. We try to make up for what we think we might have done wrong. And somehow if we do that, that, that might like balance out the scales in our favor. But the reality is that peace with God in our turmoil doesn't it doesn't come from makeup work. It doesn't come from trying to earn back God's favor or doing enough good deeds. That's not to say that you shouldn't try to read the Bible, probably not in a week. Maybe, maybe you should do good deeds, but, but this idea that, 
that if I do enough makeup work, if I somehow do enough good things, that that will fix the turmoil and the angst that I feel in my heart. Thirdly, peace with God is not found by running away. Sometimes when life gets hard, um, the easiest thing to do is bail, right? I don't know if you've ever been ghosted on by someone. That's probably only happened to me like one or 29 times or something. But, but I, I find that, you know, when life is frustrating, when things don't make sense, when our, our sense of guilt is overwhelming, I can only imagine to be in Job's situation and to constantly hear his friend's terrible advice. Sometimes it may seem easier to just be alone because maybe the shame is less. Maybe the perceived frustration is less. But I think sometimes in these moments we have a tendency to simply tuck tail and run and think, well, if I just don't deal with God, if I don't acknowledge God, that if I don't spend time around God's people, that somehow I'll be at peace and this will get better. Deep down, even though there may not be anything major going on in our life, I think sometimes we can point to series where there's a lot of drama or there's a lot of frustration or a lot of heartache. Sometimes it doesn't come like it did with Job. It doesn't come in the form of physical sickness or the loss of tangible things. Maybe it's not financial stress like Job was in, but, but I think sometimes the enemy comes and he just brings turmoil in our heart. This sense that we just can't be still because we're just not okay with what's going on in life. We just have this sense of inner turmoil and weight of the world on our shoulders. And the reality is, is that we were not built to live in that state, that, that we were made to live in peace, at peace with God. In John chapter 16, verse 33, this is what Jesus says. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, the reality is, is life is not going to be easy. Things are going to frustrate you. People are going to make you angry. You're going to deal with stupid people the rest of your life. They're going to do things that, that take away your peace. You're going to encounter situations that rob you of the joy and peace that the Lord intended. And some of these things are going to be trivial things, like I mentioned earlier. Some are going to be emotional swings that we just don't understand why I feel this way, but I just feel this way, and I don't like it. And just that mere fact frustrates us because we feel like we don't have the control that we want. In the moments when our life is not as in control as we want it to be, in those moments where we can't discipline ourselves to accomplish what we want to accomplish, where we can't be as successful as we want it to be, or that we let ourselves down or let other people down, or whatever it is that's bringing us turmoil, in, in those moments, the reality is this, that peace only comes by trusting our advocate. You see, here's the problem that we often don't understand. Just like Job did not perceive what was going on in Job chapter 1, Job was unaware that there was an adversary that was accusing him 
before God. And that the turmoil he was facing in life was not just mere bad luck, but a targeted attack from an enemy that hated him and wanted to see his destruction. I think sometimes we're so confused by what happens in life because we try to find logical explanations for spiritual problems. We try to find rational explanations. And then when our rational explanations are exhausted, we sink in despair because it just doesn't make sense. And in the end, for some of us to be able to sleep at night, we need the world to make sense to us, and it just doesn't. So in John 14, verses 15 and 15 through 18, this is what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. TJ, if you'll come back up, we're going to close. You will never find a physical solution to a spiritual struggle. I think what is crazy to me sometimes, and I mentioned this last week, that we as believers, we believe that Jesus died on a cross, was resurrected from the dead, disappeared into the heavens and then he's coming back again one day the dead in Christ are going to rise and Jesus is bringing back a new creation and we are completely okay with all of those things and none of that sounds crazy to us but the idea that there is really a spiritual adversary that wants you to be hindered in your relationship with God, that wants to hinder your success, that wants to keep you from becoming the person that God wants you to be. When we start talking like that, somehow that's crazy to us. Like that's the thing that doesn't make sense. That, that maybe the reason things don't make sense in our life is because it's not a rational cause, but a spiritual cause and a spiritual problem. And I think sometimes the problem is that we're so busy trying to seek out worldly counsel or try to make up our own way to fix the problem or we're trying to run away from the problem that we don't stop and say, Jesus, I can't fix this problem. I can't find a solution. My wisdom isn't enough. My ability isn't enough. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whatever your struggle is, Job was right when he said, If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Jesus is that mediator this is the good news of the gospel that, that though we have been vexed and tormented and oppressed by the enemy of our soul, the adversary that came to kill and steal and destroy the life that Jesus gave us, we have a mediator. We have an advocate. But the problem is we are powerless to overcome the adversary on our own and that our only hope is to cling to Jesus. Now, in the next few weeks, we're going to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to 
We're going to go on. It talks about putting on the armor of God that we would be prepared for the enemy's tricks or the enemy's attacks. And we're going to talk more in this series about what it looks like to lean into our advocate. But tonight, I want us to just land here with, with this reality. That maybe the struggle, maybe the frustration that you're dealing with, the thing you can't figure out, maybe, maybe there's a spiritual cause. And maybe we should just say, before we try to fix it ourselves or apply our reason, we should say, Lord, can you show us what's going on? Lord Jesus, can you advocate for us in the things that we don't understand? And then instead of trying to, to use whatever solution we can come up with, that we would maybe just trust Jesus with that thing? That even though it doesn't seem like things are right in the world or good in the world or things are working out for us, that we would trust that even though we may have the perspective, I know we're not children, but I think back to what it would be like to be a small child trying to understand the complexities of a courtroom and the difficulties of the decisions that are having to be made. At the end of the book of Job, in, in, in 38, that's what, 33, we, we read this earlier, God questions Job. He says, would you like to be in control? Would you like to make the world work? Can you tell me how the world works? Because the reality is we probably couldn't do it any better than God is doing it. And even though we don't have a solution, and that's the struggle of Job, is we don't find real resolution or solution to the why. The only solution is that God is still there, that he is still good, and that he is still for us. And so that's where I'd like for us to land tonight. And so, um, as always, you can respond however you want. We're going to have space up front if you want to come and kneel and pray. If you want to have one of our staff or your small group leader pray with you, we're going to be available to pray with you. If you want to pray and worship where you're at, that's fine. But, but maybe... Maybe there is something that's bothering you, some stressor, something. Maybe you think it's trivial. Maybe it seems big to you. But tonight, this is my encouragement. There is an advocate who can solve the issue. The question is, are you going to let him? Or are you going to try to fix it yourself? And so tonight, I would invite you to surrender that to the one who can meet your needs. So let's stand. I'm going to pray over us. And then after I pray, you guys can respond however you'd like. Lord Jesus, you know the issues. You know the concerns of every person in this room. You see the things that steal our peace. You see the things that steal our joy and our hope for the future. The things that derail us, no matter how big or how small. Things in the physical world, things in our mind that come against us. Lord, we are powerless to face this adversary on our own. Jesus, we need you as our advocate. We need your righteousness in place of our righteousness. We need your strength in, in place of our weakness. So Lord Jesus, tonight we cling to you and not our own ability. We cling to you and not our goodness or our wisdom or our strength, or our cunning. Jesus, will you intervene on our behalf tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can respond. 
Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.